Providing some historical and legal context to that kōrero with Winiata Moringa is Dr Carwin Jones, Victoria University Law Lecturer and Co-Editor of the Māori Law Review. Kia ora, Carwin. Kia ora. Now, Winiata spoke about how colonisation is why tomo isn't practised to this day. Okay, so I think what we see with the process of colonisation is part of it is about uh, changing the way people behave. Um, it is about, there is, through colonisation processes, there's a very strong assimilation process, so getting people to do things the way the colonisers do them. Um, and, and so we see that affecting Māori and Māori practices and Māori law in all kinds of ways. So this, this practice of tomo is one example of that. And part of it stems from the fact that through the colonisation process, it's changed the way Māori live, the kind of communities we live in. And uh, that, that doesn't change the kind of key values that, that Māori people have. You know, we still, we still have these ideas of whanaungatanga as being very central to who we are and the way we operate and the world that we live in. Um, but there are different ways now of, of expressing those concepts and of, of giving effect to the rights and obligations that we have. So, Cohen, what would be those different ways? Well, so for example, we we, we, we don't live in, in kind of, a lot of us don't live in close knit communities anymore. A lot of us are living outside of our rohe. So, the ways that we, we practice our whanaungatanga um, uh, uh, need to change necessarily. And, and we need to think about. Um, how we participate as as part of our whānau and hapu in different kinds of ways as well. And so the relationships, for example, the, the idea of tomo was, was often to to build up relationships and to, to strengthen the kinds of bonds between different families. And so we might do that in different kinds of ways today. We might, we might um, those of us who live outside the rohe, uh, might have a focus, for example, on um, um, on ways of supporting those who are back home, the ahita. Um, we we build our connections and our relationships in different kinds of ways. We have all kinds of um, professional relationships, all kinds of whānau relationships in those different contexts. I mean, one of the questions that I put to Winiata was that, was tomo more binding because it involved... Um, declarations made by the respective families to each other, and if that's the case, I mean, isn't Western marriage almost exactly the same? Well, that, I mean, that's an important point. Is that those that is an important part of both Western marriage and Maori marriage, isn't it? And um, particularly in, in in the Maori context, if we think about those obligations of knowing a tanga, they are always obligations that exist as collective groups. Um, and the responsibilities of an individual to the collective. So, so when, in the, when you see that practice of tomo, it is very much about uh, those two whānau, their collective responsibilities to each other, being represented in that connection between two individuals. So if we look at the time that his tomo took place, so we're talking around the 1950s, there was lots of change occurring in Aotearoa at that time, right? Uh, we were moving away from our rural roots. 
um, moving more into the cities. And as you've said before, you know, our expressions of whanaungatanga was becoming perhaps a little stretched. Wouldn't there be an inevitability that traditional practices like this wouldn't have a space in a modern world? Well, I mean, to, to some extent, I think that's right, that, that our traditional practices, they will change and they will adapt to the different circumstances that we're in. And, and one of the biggest changes that we've had to adapt to and respond to is has been the process of colonisation. But one of the things I think is important to remember is that what lies underneath those particular practices that we see are these important principles and these important ideas um, and as I say, one, one that is particularly central in um, Te Ao Māori is this idea of whanaungatanga, is the kind of organising principle that Whakapapa has, which are both both very much sit behind the practice of tomo. Um, now, that, that principle hasn't gone away. Um, we've just find different ways of, of thinking about how to establish relationships with others that we want to have relationships with, how to nurture and maintain the relationships that we have so it, it, it's, it's certainly about adapting and pr- finding different ways of giving expression to those core principles, but those core principles have remained pretty constant. So there's a possibility that something like tumor could be practised again? Well, it, I mean, it certainly, it certainly could, and, and perhaps um, we might not see the kind of uh, explicit uh, practice of tumor uh, maybe in quite the same way. But certainly the ideas of of Farno being interested in who their relations are connecting with mm-hmm. is still very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the the idea of, of maintaining and nurturing relationships between Farno across Farno um, and across Hapu and Iwi, those are all ideas which which are still there, still present. We, we, we're perhaps just not seeing them. Um, being explicitly uh, expressed in, in something like tomo. One of the questions that I put to Muniata was a thing around enforcement. What happens when things go wrong? I mean, yeah. is that another aspect of tomo? I mean, he was, he kind of, um, he found the question perplexing because he, one of the things he did say was, you know, you just always listen to your kaumatua. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you don't have those structures in place, how is it that you can enforce those sorts of obligations to each other? Yeah, yeah, and that is that is one of the, the very difficult things that's been a consequence of colonisation is that, that because um, communities have been disrupted and the kind of traditional patterns of authority have shifted, that those enforcement mechanisms... Um, do become more difficult. They have changed, but we do still have uh, quite strong ideas about what those rights and obligations are. We do still have, um, you know, if you think about the concept of of tapu, that's still a very strong motivator for for um, enforcing um, particular social practices and codes and standards within Maori society, uh, and, and so those are all bound up in, in, in a practice like tomo. Um, and if you I mean, if you go back a few years, what you see is um, you know, plenty of examples of, of when things have have maybe gone wrong in a tomo or, or simply circumstances have changed, 
uh, and that the, the, the parties involved uh, no longer seem like an appropriate um, uh, fit, an appropriate relationship, then, then there are mechanisms for for managing that change. And, and you know, one of one of the one of the sort of most famous examples um, that has been written up has been uh, an example from the 19th century of of a muru which took place as a result of of um, uh, the parties essentially backing out of of of, of betrothal. Um, and one of the things that was interesting about that case is that, that what happened was the people who were seen to have been affected by the backing out of the tomo was not just the immediate parties involved, but it's it's the wider whānau who who have a stake in that relationship, uh, and they are the ones who need to be compensated um, when if, if that relationship isn't going to um, be followed through on. So I, I think again that brings us back to where we see that these obligations are very much about a collective rather than simply individuals. So I can see already how that would have been the rub between Māori customary law and Western law. Yeah, I mean, it, it is one of the, the big distinctions, I think, between Māori law and, and, and our New Zealand state law, the common law system, is the, the common law system has very much a focus on individual rights, whereas uh, Māori law is all about the collective and it's all about rights and obligations that, that in relation to that collective group, so whether that's the whānau or the hapu or the iwi, um, but it, it's, a, it's about there are individual rights in there, but they are always in relation to those collective rights. Which reinforces things around obligations to each other. Exactly. And responsibilities. Yeah. Which, again, reinforces the Māori, te ao Māori, around balance of tapu and noa. Yeah, exactly. So so all of, all of these, these key principles... Um, operate really to to enforce and reinforce each other. So, so you have um, kind of key enforcement mechanisms like tapu and nō, but those are all put to the use of um, um, reinforcing fanaungatanga, but also um, making sure there's uh, the kind of balance and sort of reciprocity that you see in a concept like utu coming into play. Um, very much involved in these ideas is. Uh, is uh, maintaining um, mana and enhancing everyone's mana. I mean, that, that's a key part of, of what you'd see happening in, in a tomo. So all those ideas reinforce each other. Now, Tikahununu, Victoria University law lecturer and co-editor of the Māori Law Review, Dr Carwin Jones. And if that's enough, he's also blogging at Ahikaroa, that's A-H-I-K-A-A-R-O-A, dot blogspot dot com